I am thankful to be here. I said this in the first service. I think I might have said this to someone uh, in passing in the first service. I think one of the things that I am most excited about to be here with you guys is being able to see your pastor's rest. Uh, seriously, it's a joy to me to step in and, and serve you guys in that way. And, of course, to be here with you guys. Um, <clears throat> I've already been, been given the permission. I'm going to have you guys just sit. I know I'm not breaking any Anglican rules when I do that, so I'm going to go ahead and read this passage for us, and we will get in. I'm reading from the CSB version. There's just a few things in this version that I want to uh, highlight. You're going to see it up here in a slightly different version. It's the same story, same truth. We'll meet there. So, uh, John chapter 21, uh, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Hefty read. Here we go. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, <clears throat> Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of the disciples were there together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The, the disciple, uh, the one that Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon, Peeper, Simon Peter excuse me, heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he was naked, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish that you've caught, that you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were many fish, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew this was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after being raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. A second time he asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you 
and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told Peter, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe on our time together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open us up to the truth uh, that you have for us here today. I trust the time that you've met me in my time of preparation and study, but I do also trust you, Holy Spirit, to prompt me with whatever you want to say in this moment. Holy Spirit, help me to be good at getting out of the way that people would see you, that these would not simply be pages in a book, words on pages, but opportunities to see your face and be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in 14 years of parenting, I'm learning that most of our challenges in parenting come down to these two things. I've got a 13-year-old and a soon-to-be 10-year-old. And here are the two things that I think have uh, impacted our conflicts, our challenges in parenting the most. First is that as parents, we often expect our kids to behave as the adult versions of themselves with the same kind of insights and wisdom and confidence that it took us 20 plus years to, to find. The second thing is this, that as parents, we are subconsciously not okay with our kids growing up to be something other than what makes us comfortable. That if we navigate and confront these two kind of subconscious expectations that we hold over our kids, we'd realize that we wouldn't have as many challenges or conflicts with our children as we do. Now, I'm not assuming that there aren't other dynamics uh, to consider when, when, when it comes to parenting. But, but, but I mention it because I'm realizing how often we bring those same expectations into our journey with Jesus how we grow, how we mature in every sense, not just spiritually, but socially, relationally, mentally, emotionally. We bring all of those things in. And I think John 21 gives us such incredible invitation to understanding our journey of growth with Jesus. A few things I want to mention and unpack for you guys. The first one is this, God is better at providing than we are at producing. God is far better at providing than we are at producing. Check check out verse 3. In verse 3 we read that after a long night of fishing, Peter and the disciples what? Caught nothing. In verse 6, after Jesus' advice to throw the net on the right side of the boat, They were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. You know, initially when I read this, I I, I felt like this contrast was almost comical. Because uh, one outcome seems to be the result of Peter's effort to make something out of the desperate situation that they were all in. Remember, this is uh, post-resurrection, pre-ascension. And despite the fact that Jesus had shown himself twice, the disciples are still unsure of what to do. 
They're still unsure of how to handle this seemingly desperate situation that they were all in. And as a result of that, Peter just said, let's just go fishing. And to be honest with y'all, church, I don't blame him. I don't blame for Peter making an effort to make something out of the desperate situation that they found themselves in. We all typically uh, go back to what is comfortable and familiar in times of hardship and crisis. It's, it's, it's kind of our effort to manufacture a safe place when things around us feel so unsafe and disorienting. We just, we just look for the next safest thing. Or we go back to the thing that was once safe to us. And I get that. I get that response by the disciples. How else do we respond when after having put all our hope and faith in something that's been ripped from us and seemingly came up short with all the promises it offered us? How, how do we respond? Isn't it just to find or at least manufacture some place that feels safe because we feel so unsafe? The disciples understandably are lacking faith. Imagine how many of us feel after 20 plus months of global pandemic. Right? How do y'all feel? I mean, I'll speak for myself, but sometimes I feel exhausted. Because of the last 20 plus months of global pandemic, death, social unrest, violence, sickness. And listen, y'all, tragedy has this way of making its home inside of us and evicting the hope that we once lived with. Loss, especially when it goes unprocessed, creates incredibly anxious people. And all anxious people want is to find somewhere that feels safe and familiar. We talked a little bit about this last time I was here. Something that feels mindless, routine, even if it comes at the expense of deep meaning and purpose. To Peter, in these verses, to Peter, the best way forward, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, and this kind of ambiguous in-between place that none of them know what to do with, Peter feels that the best way forward from here is survival. To fend for themselves. To go back to what they were used to before they met Jesus. Fishing. So in this case, producing is about the self. A kind of overwhelming self-interest. But the voice of a shadowy silhouette figure on the shore encouraged them to cast their nets on the right side so that they would catch some fish. And that, friends, is not an invitation from Jesus to produce. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It is an invitation from this silhouette figure on the shores of the beach to receive. And according to the story, the disciples received more than they could manage. Church, I want y'all not to miss this because this invitation that this silhouette figure on the beach offers is very important. Here's why. This invitation is important because it reminds us that what we receive from God is more important to who we become than what we can produce for ourselves. What we receive from God is more important to who we are becoming than what we can produce for ourselves. Listen to the, how the Harvard professor, uh, Dr. Alan Callahan, describes it. He says this, Jesus' concern is not that the disciples work 
uh, is not that the disciples work to feed themselves, but that they work to feed others. Peter has led his comrades into a self-interested pursuit of survival and prosperity. Jesus now prevails upon Peter to lead them to the self-availing love of others that their Lord has taught them. In seeking after his own welfare, Peter gained nothing. With the intervention of Jesus, there was more than enough. And I don't know if you guys are necessarily used to this. You know, I'm new to the community uh, also, but as a side note, I said this in the first service. It's really important to me that you see these faces when I quote them, particularly when they're people of color. It's a form of justice and affirmation that wisdom and truth and insight can also come from people of color. But listen to this, listen to what Dr. Callahan is saying. In a sense, he's helping us to see that the most pervasive effect of trauma and tragedy is that they convince us that there's not enough, fill in the blank, that there's not enough spaces for healing, that there's not enough people to, that care or protect us, that there's not enough time or experiences to bounce back, that there's not enough resources for everyone. And when you live out of a not enough reality, two things happen. You either drown in your despair or you are consumed by self-interest. When you live with a non, uh, when you live in a reality of not enough, you either drown in despair or you are consumed by your self-interest. You know, this past Thursday, uh, I, I, we just recently released a three-part documentary with a buddy of mine. I directed and shot a, uh, shot a three-part documentary called We Go On uh, that follows the story of my buddy John, who you'll see here in a second. Um, his brother passed away seven years ago, and the documentary is about grief and how it has impacted him over the last seven years. And this is what he has said about grief and tragedy. Tragedy doesn't ruin people. Hopelessness does. Tragedy doesn't ruin people. Hopelessness does. Church, part of what we're seeing here in these verses is that is the invitation to reclaim the hope of a relationship that we still have access to. Even in our hardship, even when we fail, even when we fall short, even when we don't achieve, even when we don't accomplish, even when we don't crush our goals, part of what we are invited to see here is to reclaim the hope of a relationship that we still have access to. And Jesus understands that intimacy and connection is far more satisfying than achievements. And this is precisely why after having been denied by Peter on three different occasions, Jesus still invites him to the cookout. Jesus still makes him some breakfast. Jesus still blesses his fishing efforts. Because Jesus understands that intimacy is far greater and far satisfi more satisfying than achievements. You know, I said this, I shared this story in the first service. Um, we're Dominican. We're just born with a baseball bat and baseball. It's just, it's just what it is. Um, and uh, my son, who's sitting outside, he sat in the first service. I give him the permission to just do whatever they want at this point. 
Uh, so they're chilling outside. You'll see him. He has a Yankee hat. He's a very proud New Yorker. Very, very proud New Yorker. Um, but when he was around eight, nine, he was in a little league back home in New York. And uh, if you know baseball, he found himself, there he is, uh, he found himself in the perfect baseball scenario. Uh, it was the bottom of the six, which in little league, that's the ninth. Yeah, that's the last inning. Uh, bottom of the six. He's got a man on second, man on third. He's got three balls and two strikes. I mean, this is like perfect situation. One hit, down the line, this game's over. We're all going to the bar to drink apple juice, you know. So, you know, my son's just standing there in the box, and he's, he's got his position. He's got his elbow up. And just before the pitch comes in, he just like throws his hand out to the umpire to stop the game. And he walks over to me. Uh, I was helping to uh, coach. And he's just like, Dad, I, I'm so nervous. I don't know what to do. And I wish I could say I gave him a very spiritual answer, but I did not. <laughs> uh, I said, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Get back in the box. Look at the ball. And, uh, just, just spat a whole bunch of, like, baseball coach. And he looked at me like, all right, this was useless. I don't know why. I don't know why I even came here. You are not helpful at all. Uh, so he goes back to the box, gets in his stand. The pitch comes in, and, I, man, I promise you, it looked like he was going to crush this thing. Like the ball was just going to explode, and they were just going to win, even though the ball exploded kind of thing, right? And the ball comes in. He swings. He misses. And he is devastated, devastated. And, you know, at eight years, these eight, other eight-year-old kids, they're, like, jumping up and down. They won the game. They're like, you lost, you know. And I'm like, this is not helping at all. He comes over to me, uh, and through his tears, he just says, Dad, I'm sorry. And he said, what are you sorry for? He said, I disappointed you. And I knew at that moment, jokes aside, I knew at that moment that I held a lot of power over my son, that whatever I would say next was going to shape him in the most profound ways, uh, for the better or for the worse. Um, and I looked at him, and I asked him a question. I said, buddy, do you know why I love you? This is all happening in the field as kids are like running. I said, I said, buddy, do you know why I love you? <clears throat> he kind of shrugged his shoulders and threw his tears. He said, I don't know, because I'm cool, I guess. And I'm like, <laughs> he said, you are cool, but that's not why I love you. He said, do you know why I love you? He said, I don't know. And I said, I love you because you're my son. And he's like, okay. Like, what are you saying? Okay. Well, I don't get it. And I said, when will you stop being my son? thought about it for a moment. He looked at me and he said, yeah, never, I guess. I was like, you guess, maybe you'll always be my son. And then I asked him, when will I stop loving you then? And then in that moment, it kind of just clicked for him. He's like, oh, okay, I get it. This idea that love is built not on whether or not he can make me proud, because listen, his achievements will make me proud or they will disappoint me. If he does something that as d d doesn't hold to our values and things that we love and ways that we had hoped for him to uh, grow, yeah, in some ways we'll be disappointed. If he does something great, we will be proud. But his achievements do not have the power to fluctuate my love for him. My love is solely built on the reality that he is my son. And this is precisely the way that Jesus loves Peter and his disciples. Whether they succeeded, whether they failed, whether they denied him, Jesus' love is steadfast. 
Second thing that I think we can pull from this passage here is that being present with ourselves inevitably opens the door to discovering God. Being present with ourselves inevitably opens the door to discovering God. Now, y'all, I'm going to be honest. Watching Peter's life unfold in the Bible is mad entertaining. And by mad, I mean a lot. I'm sorry, that's like New York slang. It's very entertaining, right? Very entertaining. He's the one that's always acting impulsively and making wild statements before thinking about it. He's the hasty one. But church, if I'm honest, I think I like that. (laughs) I like Peter's personality in the Bible. It's not only entertaining to watch, it's kind of liberating to watch. Here's why. I like it because it says something about the importance of being present with ourselves in order to discover who God is. In other words, the journey to discover who we are and the one to discover who God is are two lanes on the same road. You cannot progress in one and not on the other. Look at verse 7. Simon Peter heard... That it was the Lord, and in my passage, it says he plunged into the sea after getting dressed because he was naked for whatever reason. (laughs) Must have been hot. (laughs) And Peter has always almost obnoxiously tried showing how committed to Jesus he was, almost all the time. So I want us to, for a moment, consider the most iconic Peter moments in the Bible because they really are iconic, entertaining for sure, liberating. I hope we see this. In Matthew chapter 4, Peter drops everything when Jesus invites him to follow him. He just drops everything. Because he knew, he had this feeling, man, this could be the Messiah. This could be the person that we all had been waiting for. This could be the person that I've been learning about since I was young. So I drop everything to follow him, no questions asked. He drops everything, even the very thing providing to him, uh, providing him with meaning and purpose. Fishing. The thing that put food on the table for him. He didn't check his budget. He didn't check in with his wife. He just dropped everything to follow Jesus. That would not fly at the crib or at the house. You know, crib, house, you know, same thing. In Matthew 14, he steps out onto a boat in the middle of the water during a terrible storm just to get to Jesus. In Matthew 26, in front of all his boys, the disciples, he he tells Jesus that even if they flake on their commitment to you, I never will. This is Peter, y'all. I like this dude. In Matthew 16, he rebukes Jesus for telling the disciples that he would have to suffer and be killed by the authorities. This is Peter, y'all. If there's anything we learn from Peter's very messy and complex relationship with Jesus, it's this. Peter could not have learned how patient, understanding, and forgiving Jesus is were it not for the countless moments that he fell short. He could not have learned Jesus' patience, Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' understanding, and how deep they run had it not been for the countless times that he fell short. In other words, it was the very moments that Peter wished he could have back that most clearly showed him both who he was and who God is. It was precisely in those moments with his foot in his mouth 
that Peter's knowledge of Jesus became his experiences of Jesus. Because church, let me be frank with y'all, even though I'm rich, but I'll be frank with y'all. Knowledge doesn't save any of us. Experiences with God do. And Peter was finding this out in real time. As Peter learned how fragile his commitment to Jesus was, he discovered how faithful Jesus' commitment to him was. As Peter learned how deep his pride went, he discovered how determined Jesus' love went. For every moment of radical confidence that Peter experienced came a moment of sobriety where he realized that he wasn't as confident, as secure, or as bold as he previously thought. But church, here's the beauty. None of it mattered to Jesus. Peter and the disciples were still his friends, worthy of a hot meal prepared by God himself. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking when this mysterious voice from the shore called them friends? During a time when it wasn't very convenient to associate yourself to the followers of Jesus? Only to later realize that that voice belonged to Jesus himself? Could you imagine what they felt when they heard someone saying that that they were friends with them? Like, yo, who'd want to be friends with us? We're the butt of all the jokes in town. I wouldn't be surprised if upon hearing someone calling them friends, the disciples sat on the boat thinking, wow, this sounds strikingly familiar. John 15, 15, you'll see it on the screen. When Jesus sat down with them just before his crucifixion and he told the disciples, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have now instead called you what? Friends. Because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Yo, listen, if I'm Peter, I'm feeling both unworthy and thankful for this much kindness. Unworthy and thankful for this much kindness. But church... This is exactly what makes God's love so compelling. That it is a kind of love that causes God to see us in a way that we find often too difficult to see ourselves in. You know, know, I've been pastoring for about 15 years. We led a church back in New York City. And... I always think that there's something interesting about Christian culture. Uh, as a Christian, I'm saying this, right? Something interesting about Christian culture that often we either don't have the courage or the ability to look deeply into what things mean and the implications of those things. Like, God is holy and uh, just turn your gaze to God. Things that are all true, but they need so much more parsing and unpacking you know you gotta like dr strange that thing and like pick it apart and what does that mean 
And one of the things that I think we realize as this story unfolds, as, as Jesus shows us that he sees the disciples, that he sees us in a light and in a way that we often find too difficult to see ourselves, it shows us that, that a big part of what makes looking to God so powerful is when you notice how he looks at you. The power of looking to God isn't this inanimate or this kind of mechanical looking or this kind of detached spiritual practice. But the power in actually looking to God comes in when you notice how he looks at you. It's transformative when you realize that God sees you in ways that you have a hard time seeing yourself in. Friends, our passage today ends with the same two words that brought Jesus and Peter together. Verse 19, follow me. Follow me. Now that's interesting to me that it ends that way. And what's interesting to me is not that Jesus is saying it, but that he's saying it now. Why is Jesus saying it now, at this moment, as if he hadn't had a relationship with Peter for years at this point? As if they hadn't been in the mud together, traveling, being persecuted, performing miracles, feeding thousands of people, as if they have no history. Why is he saying, follow me now? And I think it's because Jesus understands something about our journey with him that we often forget today. That we need to take up God's invitation to follow him, to trust him, whether we are at the beginning of our journey or if we're years into it. That it is a moment-by-moment invitation to follow God. Because at any moment, we can decide to trust something else. Not living in fear that we'll fall out of God's hand, but, but that we wouldn't live in the most flourishing way that God has invited us to, that whether you find yourself at the beginning of your journey saying, for the first time, I will follow you, and that you take up that invitation, or you find yourself at the end of your journey, or in the middle of your journey, or years into your journey, that the invitation is still the same, to follow him. And you know what, church? Towards the end of his life, Peter also understood this. Decades after this John 21 moment, Peter writes a letter to all the Christians that are being persecuted in the known world. They're being persecuted and scattered. And Peter writes this letter. 1 Peter chapter 5, yes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And here's what he says to the Christians being scattered around the known world, being persecuted. Decades after this uh, John 21 moment, Peter says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. This Peter. This Peter. The guy who we just, you know, we read his iconic moments. This is him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares to him because he cares for you. Talk about speaking from experience. My prayer, church, is that we may also talk about God's love from experience. Let's pray together. 
Thank you, God, for your kindness. Thank you for meeting us, meeting me. God, I won't speak for your church. I thank you for meeting me, giving me sweet reminders of who you are. God, I pray that it would resonate with your people, that you would have truly met with your people today, both as we sang, as we recited prayers together, and as we heard you speak. Pray that any of it, God, was a blessing. Holy Spirit, we'd be remiss to say that we'd leave this place and in our own effort make something happen. Uh, remind us, Holy Spirit, that, that you are better at providing than we are at producing. Let this week be about receiving, receiving what you have provided. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.